Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. In the summer of love, 1967, anything seemed possible. Civil rights issues were being addressed. The war in Vietnam could be stopped. Drugs and free love were in the air, and women were being liberated. Amongst all this was Jimi Hendrix, who became a fan of an all-female rock band from San Francisco called The Ace of Cups. Now, now wait a second. An all-girl rock band? A bunch of women who wrote their own songs, who had a chick out front that could shred like a man, and a girl playing drums? Even in 1967, this was radical. Hendrix was so impressed by their chops that he invited them to open a couple of his shows. Those really did seem like some kind of defining moments. But then the old sexist attitudes took over. Women groups did not, could not, rock. That was just common sense. It was self-evident. Everybody knew that. The Ace of Cups gave it a good shot, but by 1972, they'd broken up. And until punk rock came around a few years later, the idea of a female-fronted rock band was considered just, well, silly. But punk brought in new egalitarian values, and fans embraced groups fronted by, led by, and occasionally consisting entirely of women. Deborah Harry and Blondie, Chrissy Hine and the Pretenders, The Slits, Patti Smith, The Raincoats, Susie and the Banshees, Wendy O. Williams and the Plasmatics. These amazing women did all sorts of good for women's role in rock. And by the time Generation X and the 90s started to happen, the idea of bands where the leader and most or all of its members had extra X chromosomes wasn't that weird at all. Finally. But there was still work to be done. And all through the alt-rock 90s, we were influenced and inspired and entertained by some of the greatest female musicians in rock, period, full stop. This is part two of our series on the alternative rock of the 1990s. This is the ongoing history of new music. The Podcast Edition with Alan Cross. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross, and this is the next installment of a multi-part series on the history on the alternative 90s. Actually, this is part two of chapter two on the topic of women in alt-rock. Last time we concentrated on the solo performers. This time, it's all about the bands. And like the last time, I think the best way to do this is chronologically, starting at the beginning of the decade. And like last time, our subject began recording in the 1980s. Sonic Youth came out of a weird New York City-based scene called No Wave, which, if we're really honest, was just a lot of noise. Okay, maybe it was interesting noise, artsy noise, but nothing that was ever going to become mainstream. Over the next 10 years, though, Sonic Youth refined their guitar sound to become ranked as one of the most important American indie rock bands of the 80s. And among its membership was Kim Gordon, who sang bass and played guitar. Sonic Youth was pretty much a democracy, so she was never the front person or the leader of the group, but she did have her turn as a songwriter and as a lead singer. She was inspired by the women who came before her. There were punks like Patti Smith and the Slits, goths like Susie Sue, rockers like Joan Jett and the Runaways, blues singers like Billie Holiday, and her greatest heroine, Tina Turner. As well as working with Sonic Youth, she's also a visual artist that starts with painting and moves out from there. She's the former owner of a clothing line. And she's done some acting, written books, directed music videos, and produced albums. We'll get to those last two things in just a bit. First, though, a song from Sonic Youth's first ever major label album. Kim wrote it after she had a run-in with LL Cool J. 
She didn't think much of his attitude towards women. And to help her out, Chuck D of Public Enemy came in for some guest vocals. The song is Cool Thing. Hey, Cool Thing. Come here. Sit down beside me. There's something I gotta ask you. I just wanna know, what are you gonna do for me? I mean, are you gonna liberate us girls from male, white, corporate oppression? Tell it like it is. Sonic Youth, with bass player Kim Gordon on vocals, with a song that she wrote for their 1990 album, Goo, and that's called Cool Thing. Now, here's a fun fact. She was born in Rochester, New York, raised in Los Angeles, but she formed her first band while she was a student at York University in Toronto. For a certain group of women, Kim was it, a cool woman in a cool indie band, tons of cred from all kinds of angles. So many young women were inspired and influenced by her, including a 20-something young woman from San Francisco who wrote Kim a letter saying, look, I love what you do. I have a new band. Will you produce our debut record for us? That woman was Courtney Love. Now, this is pre-Kurt Courtney when she was still looking for her place in the world. She'd been in a bunch of bands with names like Sugar Baby Doll and Babes in Toyland. And she was the singer for Faith No More for about 15 minutes before she was kicked out of the band. She got into art and acting and uh, stripping. And if you know where to look, you can see her in the video of the Ramones made in 1988 for I Want to Be Sedated. She's one of the partiers in the background. By the end of the 80s, she was back in California and determined to get a band together. While the band rehearsed and played the odd gig, Courtney kept stripping with all the money going to buy the group gear. After a couple of singles, the group, now called Hole, was ready to make a debut record, and that's when Courtney wrote the letter to Kim Gordon. She agreed, and the result was a 1991 record entitled Pretty on the Inside, co-produced by Kim and Don Fleming, a guy known for his work with Dinosaur Jr. and a ton of other indie groups. The album came out in September of that year, and although it wasn't what you'd call a hit, it did eventually become a cult favorite. And this song actually made it to number one on the UK indie chart. It's called Teenage Whore. Our first ever taste of Courtney Love. That's a 1991 single entitled Teenage Whore. It's from Hole's debut album, Pretty on the Inside, co-produced by Kim Gordon of Sonic Youth. As for the rest of the 90s, do we really need to mention that Courtney was one of the most visible and most talked about women of that entire decade? I didn't think so. And in the process, she ended up influencing untold numbers of women and men. We've started something of a chain here. Courtney and Hole eventually made connections up in the Pacific Northwest, which is where they found the Riot Girl scene. These groups also often cited Kim Gordon as an influence. And some were fans of Sugar Baby Doll, that San Francisco group that included Courtney for a while. Riot Girls were hardcore punk bands that expressed themselves in the same angry way as male bands have been doing for years, except from the female perspective. Song topics included female empowerment, domestic abuse, rape, sexuality, racism, the patriarchal nature of society, and all manner of feminist thinking. One of the most important groups on that scene was Bikini Kill, who were formed by four women in 1990. And when the Riot Girl thing was at its peak in the early 1990s, Bikini Kill probably received the most coverage. They encouraged all their gigs to be female-centric, urging women up to the front of the stage and men to the back. 
Everyone in the group all had something to say, but the one who got the most attention was singer Kathleen Hanna. When some dude moved up to heckle them, it wasn't uncommon for her to dive off the stage at the guy. You simply did not mess with this woman. And for that, she became a hero to both punk women and men. One of those men who idolized her was Kurt Cobain. One night in 1991, she and Kurt went out drinking. When they returned to Kurt's place, she remarked that Kurt smelled sweet, almost like a particular type of deodorant marketed to teens. Kurt was confused because he never wore deodorant. He thought she was referring to his undying punk rock ethos and was so inspired by what she said that he used her remark as the title of a new song. Smells like Teen Spirit. In case you don't know, Teen Spirit is actually the name of a deodorant. Anyway, back to Bikini Kill. This is from their 1991 demo album, Revolution Girl Style Now. It's called Suck My Left One. Bikini Kill from their self-released 1991 demo album, Revolution Girl Style Now. Very important record for the Riot Girl movement of the early 1990s. Now, here's a fun fact about singer Kathleen Hanna. She ended up getting married to Adam Horowitz of the Beastie Boys. They got married in 2006. In the early 1990s, you quickly learned never to mess with Kathleen Hanna, Courtney Love, or Kim Gordon. And you learned never to mess with L7 either. They were an all-female band from L.A. who first started playing together in 1985. And for the next five or six years, they suffered not only the indignities foisted on all new bands, but the extra indignities brought about by the sexism because, well, they were an all-girl group. Playing some pro-choice events brought them into contact with progressive liberal bands like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Rage Against the Machine and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. They all became fans of L7 and did what they could to help out their sisters. Because there was a gold rush to sign up aggressive-sounding, grunge-like bands around that time, L7 was swept away into the hands of producer Butch Vig, the guy who worked with Kim Gordon and the rest of Sonic Youth on the Goo album, and the dude who had just finished helping Nirvana make Nevermind. He helped L7 form their signature sound with their third record, which is called Bricks Are Heavy. That came out on April the 14th, 1992. We can call this all-female grunge metal. From 1992, L7 and Pretend Were Dead from their third and best-known album, Bricks Are Heavy. It was written by Danita Sparks, and there are many stories about her fearlessness. The most tame one involves the time L7 played a British TV show called The Word. During the performance, she stripped off all her clothes from the waist down, just to make some kind of point. The height of 90s alt-rock came in the early part of the decade, and when we come back, four bands, all built around women, and the noises they made in 1993 and 1994. You're listening to the Ongoing History of New Music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. This is the second half of Chapter 2 of our survey of the alt-rock of the 1990s. The previous show featured solo female performers of that era. This time, we're talking about groups that were built around women. We're up to 1993, which is where we encounter the Breeders. 
They were formed by Kim Deal, the bass player with the Pixies, her twin sister Kelly, and Tanya Donnelly of a group called Throwing Muses. Kim was really frustrated because she had written a bunch of songs that she knew would never be recorded by the Pixies, so this band became her outlet. She sent a demo to the Pixies record label in the UK, and they gave her $11,000 to record a demo. There were a few tweaks to the lineup, and the result was an album called Pod. And the result was interesting. But once it was out, Kim had to go back to the Pixies, and Tanya needed to return to Throwing Muses, so the band was basically put on hold. But then the Pixies broke up, and Kim was without anything to do. So the breeders were reactivated, some new songs were written, and the band returned to the studio. The second album came out at the end of August of 1993, and it blew up. I think this album sold more copies than all the Pixies records put together to that point. It was called Last Splash, and not only was it a big alt-rock hit in North America, it was hugely popular in places like the UK, and especially, for some reason, France. The catalyst for all this was a song called Cannonball. Big single. And there is a big mistake in the song. When it came time to record her part, Kim Deal's bass was tuned flat. At the beginning of the song, Kim goes high up on the fretboard on the E string, something that you rarely do. It's only when the guitars come in that she realizes, uh-oh, this is wrong, and, and she corrects herself and is now in tune with the rest of the band. But it sounded kind of cool the way this bum note set up false expectations for when the song gets going. So they... The Breeders and Cannonball from 1993. And we're going to loop Kim Gordon back into the discussion again because she co-produced the video for that song. Everything seems to come back to Kim, doesn't it? She does not figure in to this next band because they were from Limerick on the west coast of Ireland. They were formed by four teenagers, a couple of brothers, their friend, and a tiny feisty woman named Dolores O'Reardon. She had a great voice. It could be as sweet as honey or as growly and yelpy as it needed to be. A demo was circulated around record companies, and the band was snapped up. And remember, this is 1992. There was this stampede to sign any band with a whiff of alternative about them. And even though the Cranberries didn't fit with the usual guitar-heavy stuff that was happening in North America, or even the pre-Britpop stuff that was happening in the UK, they nevertheless became part of the growing alt-rock scene. And it worked. The first album, Everybody Else Is Doing It, So Why Can't We?, sold 6 million copies. The second, No Need to Argue, sold around 17 million copies. The third, another 5 million. Dolores was the face and voice of the Cranberries. She was also involved in the songwriting. And for a while, she was one of the most famous singers in the entire world, male or female. But that didn't work well with her. The pressure of the business, the endless months on the road, and the constant harassment of the tabloids and the paparazzi got to her. And by the time she was 24, she suffered a nervous breakdown. And for the rest of her life, she lived a delicate existence until she died in a London hotel room at the age of 46. But if you're a 90s kid, you will always remember her. Everyone had those first three Cranberries albums, right next to their records by Pearl Jam and Oasis. We've heard these songs so many times before, so let's try something a little different. Remember that demo I mentioned that was sent around to the record companies? It was called Water Circle. Let's have a listen to that. This is a bit rough... But it is the first appearance of Dolores with the Cranberries, and the year is 1990. 
The Cranberries, and the first recording they ever made with their new singer Dolores O'Riordan. That's from a 1990 demo tape. Here's another band that didn't fit the usual mold with the alt-rock sound of the 90s. Instead, they helped create a whole new sound for the genre. Portishead was from Bristol, about 12 kilometers away from a town called Portishead. There were three people in the band, Jeff Barlow, Adrian Utley, and singer Beth Gibbons. In 1994, they helped define a sound that became known as trip-hop. All right, what's that? Well, it's basically a form of down-tempo music that incorporated elements of both electronica and hip-hop, but in a way that you really can't tell that those are the main ingredients. It also features dashes of funk and soul, some jazz samples, and various bits of sonic experimentation. Beth was one of the most enigmatic frontwomen of the decade. We knew so little about her. She gave zero interviews, and she sounded so fragile when she sang. But whatever she did, she and her bandmates helped turn trip-hop into one of the most dominant sounds in the UK in the middle 90s, even in the face of competition from Blur, Oasis, and the rest of the Britpop gang. Portishead's debut record came out in the summer of 1994, and it won the Mercury Prize the following year. And this was one of the singles. Portishead, featuring the unmistakable voice of Beth Gibbons, Sour Times, one of the three singles from their 1994 debut record entitled Dummy. Before we leave 1994, I want to talk about Veruca Salt. Like so many bands, they were inspired by the success of bands like Pearl Jam and Nirvana to start making their own music. The group was led by Nina Gordon and Louise Post. They handled all the songwriting, but not really in a collaborative way. The deal was, whoever wrote the song got to sing it. And things happened fast for them. Again, labels were looking for the kind of music Veruca Salt was making. And second, they had some damn catchy songs. After just a couple of shows, they were approached by an indie label called Minty Fresh. Hey, would you do a single for us? So they did. That single did well enough to attract the attention of Hole, who signed them to open a tour. And because Courtney and Hole were signed to Geffen, Veruca Salt signed with them too. In the fall of 1994, they released their debut record. It was called American Thighs. And yes, that phrase is taken from the line in the ACDC song, Shook Me All Night Long. The lead single was a version of the Minty Fresh song written by Nina Gordon. And when MTV picked it up, bam! Veruca Salt and Seether from 1994, and yes, before you ask, the dude band from South Africa, named after that song. I have a couple more female-fronted bands from the alt-rock 90s to talk about, and if you had to pick one to represent the whole Britpop scene, who might that be? My choice is coming up next. Now, back to the ongoing history of new music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. This is chapter two of our look back on the alt-rock scene of the 1990s. Now, there will be a later chapter devoted entirely to Britpop, but I want to touch on at least one group as part of this episode on Female Front Advance. I mean, there were so many from Britpop, uh, Lush, Catatonia, uh, Echo Belly, Sleeper, Saint Etienne, but one rose above all the rest, Elastica. Out front was Justine Frischmann, the daughter of a well-to-do architect and a former member of Suede. 
Also in the band was Annie Holland, Donna Matthews, and the only dude, Justin Welch. Elastica became super famous super fast, even before they released their debut album in 1995. Justine was partnered up with Damon Albarn of Blur, and together they essentially served as the first couple of a moment, and it also helped that the songs were, well, really, really good. When that first record came out, it became the fastest-selling debut record since the first Oasis album the year before. Justine was the singer, the songwriter, and the guitarist. And the songs? They were short, sharp, and fun. Elastica, led by Justine Frischmann, and that stutter from their 1995 debut record. So much potential in this band. The sad part of their story is that heroin invaded the band in a major, major way. It took five years to record a follow-up album, and by that time, Britpop was over, and the record wasn't very good at all. Elastica broke up, and all the members went their separate ways. Damon Albarn was left behind. Justine wrote some songs with M.I.A. and had a hit with her. She did a little TV, and then she married a professor of atmospheric science at the University of California, Davis, and now she works as a visual artist in the San Francisco area. One thing all these groups had in common was a strong female front person, and we cannot end this list without including Shirley Manson of Garbage. She was drafted into Garbage by three dudes, Butch Vig, the record producer, Duke Erickson, and another producer and sound engineer named Steve Marker. They knew they wanted a woman out front, something in the vein of Chrissy Hind or Patti Smith. In other words, somebody who sang in a lower register, but they couldn't find anyone. But then it was Steve Marker who turned on a TV and saw a Scottish band called Angelfish and saw Shirley singing for them. After tracking her down, they all met up in London on April the 8th of 1994. Yeah, that's, that's right. They, they met for the first time the day Kurt Cobain killed himself. And remember that Butch had produced, never mind. He found out during this band meeting that Kurt had died. And that, as you might expect, put the project on hold for a while. When Shirley finally did have a chance to audition for the band, she failed. But because she had the same tastes in music as the guys, they decided to take a chance anyway. She asked to audition again, and that's when she nailed it. Garbage sent out samples to record labels with almost no information attached. The only thing anybody knew was that Butch Vig was involved. And because he'd had such a solid run of producing hit albums, people agreed to listen. So of course the band got a deal. And the first record, a self-titled thing, came out on August 15, 1995. This was one of five singles. Garbage from 1995 and Only Happy When It Rains, sung, of course, by Shirley Manson, one of the great 90s front women. Back in a moment with a look ahead to Chapter 3 in this series. More of the ongoing history of new music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. Here's our list of the female-fronted and female-dominated bands of the alt-rock 90s. Kim Gordon of Sonic Youth, Courtney Love and Hole, Bikini Kill, L7, The Breeders, Dolores O'Riordan, The Cranberries, Beth Gibbons of Portishead, Veruca Salt, Elastica, and Shirley Manson of Garbage. Now, this, of course, is by no means a complete list, 
but it should give you a nice cross-section of how these groups contributed to the development of our music in the 1990s. Chapter 3 of this series will look at the rise and fall and long-term effects of grunge. Meanwhile, you can find me at my website, which is a journal of musicalthings.com. It's updated every day and comes with a fine newsletter of music news and information every single day. You can also look me up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Google+. And don't forget that all the podcasts are available wherever, uh, well, wherever you get your podcasts. Collect them all. They're free, so, you know, why not? See you next time for Chapter 3 with our look back at the 1990s. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast at iTunes and through Google Play. 